Help defend the church by becoming a supporter of Family Life International. Your contributions enable us to continue our work to promote the faith, defend the family and promote the sanctity of life. Make a real difference today. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk slash donate. According to Luke, great crowds accompanied Jesus on his way, and he turned and spoke to them. If any man comes to me without hating his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, and his own life too, he cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not carry his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And indeed, which of you here, intending to build a tower, would not first sit down and work out the cost to see if he had enough to complete it? Otherwise, if he laid the foundation and then found himself unable to finish the work, the onlookers would all start making fun of him and saying, here is a man who started to build and was unable to finish. Or again, what king marching to war against another king would not first sit down and consider whether with 10,000 men he could stand up to the other who advanced against him with 20,000? If not, then, while the other king is still a long way off, he would send envoys to sue for peace. So, in the same way, none of you can be my disciple unless he gives up all his possessions. The Gospel of the Lord. When we hear the gospel, I hope one of two things we should do. We should pray, and we should try to apply it to ourselves, to our daily life. We should pray that we could understand what God himself is saying to us. Because in the Gospels, it is God himself, God incarnate, the second person of the Blessed Trinity who is speaking to us. Our Lord said that he is the truth. 
he also said that he is the only way in which we could approach the Father. The scriptures also tell us that there is no salvation in any other name than that of Jesus. And therefore, the words that our Lord speaks to us are critical to our salvation. Because one, he is the truth. Two, there is no other way, no other name by which we can be saved. And three, he himself says that to come to him is to come to the Father. No one can approach the Father except through me. Now when he speaks, as he's spoken to us today, if we think, if we hear what he says, we will sometimes be shocked because it's not quite what we would expect. And certainly today's gospel is such an example. We are told great crowds accompanied Jesus on his way. And he turned to them and spoke. Great crowds followed him. Why? Well, for a variety of reasons. He healed the sick. And all of us, I'm sure, are in need of healing of one form or another. So no doubt we would be among those crowds. If we heard that there was a healer with miraculous powers who could restore even the sight of the blind, who could raise the dead, who could heal the crippled, and so on, yes, we would seek him out. So that's one reason. There were others who followed because they heard what he said. There was wisdom itself and they would want to learn. There were still others who followed out of curiosity. They wanted to see these tricks, these marvels. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Remember Zacchaeus climbed the tree so he could catch sight of our Lord, yet the Lord ended up as a guest in, his own, in Zacchaeus' house. So there's nothing wrong with curiosity either. There were still others who followed because people were following. They just followed the crowd. There were those who followed because they had nothing else to do. The point is, a great crowd, vast numbers followed him. And our Lord turned and wanted to make the point that this physical following was not enough that he was offering us more than healing for the body, that he is offering us more than an understanding of mysteries. He wanted to get the point, he was offering eternal life. And that this was a gift beyond human nature. It was a gift even beyond angelic nature. It was a gift only God could give. And because it was such a great gift, a sacrifice was required. Great demands require great effort. It's as simple as that. It's a natural law. So he turns and he speaks to them. And this is what he says. If anyone 
comes to me without hating his father, mother, wife. I'm not sure if the wives would like that. Children, brothers, sisters, your whole natural family. If you don't hate them, if you don't hate your own life too, you cannot be my disciple. Does that make sense? Didn't our Lord say we have to love our enemies? He said that as well. And now he's telling us we have to hate our family, our natural family, the people who are closest to us. The people on whom we depend daily. The people of whom we live. He says we must hate them if we want to be his disciples. And at the same time he says that our enemies we must love. The people who hate us, we must love them. What sense does that make? Well, it makes perfect sense if we understand what he means. Now, our Lord, in saying you must hate those closest to you, is using an idiom. And idioms can are best understood by those who speak the language naturally. So, for instance, if I were to say I have butterflies in my stomach, those who's, who understand English naturally will understand what I mean. I'm nervous. But to someone who's learning English, they think that I have this insect in my stomach. Or if you say, I'm pulling your legs. Okay, we understand what we mean. I'm, I'm joking. But someone who doesn't speak English um, naturally will think you're physically pulling somebody's legs. When our Lord says you must hate, he is not talking about the kind of um, what we normally ordinarily understand by hate, an intense dislike to the point of wanting to destroy the other person. He's saying that we cannot be his disciples if we allow any natural relationship, even the most basic, the most fundamental, to get in the way of our relationship with him. If your parents are, in, uh, are leading you into sin, you are to reject them. If your children are causing you to sin, you should move away from them. If your brothers and, and so on. This is what he said. Because they are causing a rupture in your relationship with Christ and consequently they are endangering your salvation because apart from Christ we cannot be saved. So, he doesn't just leave it at that. He says, anyone who, who does not hate his own life cannot be my disciple. 
So even our inclinations, our sinful inclinations, because they lead us away from Christ, we have to hate our life. This temptation, this, this as St. Paul, this, um, um, this body of sin that is in us. We must hate that as well. And that means we have to take up our cross, which is what he says. If you do not accept your cross, the trials that come your way, united with Christ, you cannot be his disciple. And so, he now speaks the parable so that we might understand what he's saying. Now, let's understand. Indeed, which one of you here, intending to build a tower, would not first sit down and work out the cost to see if he had enough to complete it? Right? That's what we would do. We have a large expenditure. We want to buy a house, we want to buy a car. The first thing we do, sit down and say, do I have sufficient funds? Can I complete this project? That's what we do. What do we call that? We call it understanding. That's what we call it, understanding. We understand what the problem is. And then we try to see whether we have a solution that would solve the problem. And so the tower that's going to be built, what is it? Well, a tower is a, a place of defense. You can observe the enemy coming, and if the enemy does come, you can defend yourself within the tower. So, who is the enemy? Well, the enemies of our souls are three. The world, the flesh, and the devil. So we have to build this tower. The, to begin to build the tower is nothing other than following Christ. The foundation has already been laid. St. Paul tells us. There is only one foundation can, that can be laid. This is in 1 Corinthians. And that is Christ Jesus. And everyone must now build on this foundation. Some build in gold, others in silver, others in precious stones. Others build in wood, in straw, and in stubble. Each man's work will be tested by fire. You can imagine then those who built in wood or straw. But those who built in gold or silver, they have a better chance. And so this tower is what we have to consider. Do we have, we have to understand, do we have the resources with which to build? And what are those resources? What is this gold and silver or precious stone that we must have in order to build? Well, the Lord's going to tell us later on. He says, if you do not sit down and and um, calculate, work out. If you don't understand the problem, you will begin, you will lay the foundation, and then, unable to finish the work, the onlookers would start making fun, saying, here is a man who started to build and was unable to finish. Well, those are the demons. The devils are all around us, watching to see 
whether or not we will persevere to the end. And they're the ones who obstruct the work of our building the tower. And when we end up frustrated, unable to complete, they mock us. And then he goes on, the Lord, or again, what king marching to war against another would not first sit down and consider whether with 10,000 men he could stand up to the other who advanced against him with 20,000. Again, that makes sense. If you're going to war, you, I hope any king, politician who goes out to war, considers whether he can win the war. I don't think that today some of our politicians don't seem to have that in mind. They think the fighting is the point rather than the winning of the war. And so they get us entangled in a war without end. But no, any sensible person thinks, can I win in the shortest possible time? So who is the king? Well, we are. Each one of us is king of our own life. Who are we fighting? The world, the flesh, and the devil. When we look at them, we find that the forces against us are much stronger, much more powerful than we are. The temptations all around. And we know that sometimes they are too much for our strength. We fall. But the Lord says, if not, while the other king, if you cannot stand up against the 20,000, if not, while the other king is still a long way off, he would send envoys to sue for peace. In other words, ready to make compromises. But the Lord tells us what happens. So, in the same way, none of you can be my disciple unless he gives up all his possessions. And so now we know the answer. In order for us to be able to build a tower so that we might guard our souls against the enemy, in order for us to win the war against the one who advances with greater forces, we must give up all the things we naturally hold to be valuable. Our relations, our friendships, now I'm talking about the natural order. Our friendships, our property, our reputation, and so on. We have to be ready to relinquish those in order to remain faithful to Christ, in order to be a true disciple. And there are practical examples we can take. Perhaps two of the greatest saints of England will give us examples. St. John Fisher and St. Thomas More. Five hundred years nearly, five hundred years ago, these two saints, they were men like us. True, they belonged to the noble class, or at least they were associated with the nobles. St. John Fisher was Bishop of Rochester, a well-respected theologian. 
He was a holy man, however. He was the tutor to Henry VIII, and therefore he, was, he had connections to the court. He was a friend of the king. Thomas More was younger and a companion of the king, a friend of the king, a lawyer by profession. When Wolseley fell, the king turned to Thomas to make him Chancellor of England, which is the rank after the king. Thomas More was the first layman to become Chancellor. He was a friend of the king. He had everything at his disposal, St. Thomas and, and St. John. He had a family. He had a good profession. He had income. He was respected. He had status. He had authority. He had power. He had nice clothes. He had everything a man could do. He was successful. John Fisher, likewise. He was exceedingly talented. When he was asked to take another diocese, a bigger diocese, he said, no, no, I'm contented with my poor wife, Rochester, which was the least of the diocese in England. It was always regarded as a stepping stone to greater things. St. John had the capacity to become Archbishop of Canterbury. He had the talent, the gifts. The king's question came up about marriage. Was his marriage to Catherine of Aragon valid or not? Both of these men, St. Thomas and St. John Fisher, thought that the marriage was valid because the church had declared the marriage possible in the first place. But the king was determined to divorce his wife and to marry Anne Boleyn. And so the king started to intimidate, one after the other, all the nobles and the bishops. And the other nobles and bishops, they had something to lose, their possessions. And what did they do? They bowed to the king. As they told Thomas, the anger of the king is death. John Fisher said, all I have is this poor carcass of mine. He was arrested, tried, found guilty of treason, and executed. Because he would not break his allegiance to Christ. He won all his possessions for him were rubbish. He was willing to relinquish everything. St. Thomas, likewise, when he saw the way the wind was blowing, another idiom, he saw the way the wind was blowing, what did he do? He took off his chain of office, he resigned. He took off his robes, he said to his wife, we have to live a more frugal life. We'll tighten our belts if there's not enough food. His wife was not impressed. She called him a fool. And that's what 
the Lord means by hating your wife. Because she was tempting him as Job's wife tempted Job. No, all England agrees. Why do you remain stubborn? No, he remained adamant. He would not agree to what his conscience would condemn. The king's marriage is valid. And though he remained silent, everybody knew what he thought. And eventually he was brought to trial and they had to use a perjurer, Richard Rich, to say that he heard Thomas had said the king's marriage was valid, which Thomas did not do. And so St. Thomas went to the block to execution as well because he loved Christ. And he valued his relationship with Christ above all things. So he would not allow his wife, his children, his property, his friendship with the king, anything to get in the way of that. He hated them on account of his love of Christ. And this is what our Lord means. Each of us, in our own way, in our own life, in our own position, we have to always make this judgment. You cannot be his disciple unless you are prepared to give up everything. Who can demand this of us? Only God. Only God can make such a demand of us that we reject every natural relationship. And therefore, it is God who speaks to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us ask then the intercession of the saints. Let us ask the prayers of each other that each one of us might remain faithful to our baptismal vows and that we remain true disciples of Christ and persevere to the end and that we have eternal life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This MP3 recording has been made available by Family Life International. Help us to make many more available in order to promote our Catholic faith. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk and donate today. Thank you.